In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. We're your hosts, Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. So here we are in the galleries of the Jorvik Viking Center. We've just got off the ride and we want to start a kind of new series of episode where we go case by case through the galleries of the Jorvik Viking Center and draw your attention to some of the really amazing things that you might have missed on your first pass through. There are of course so many artifacts that were found here on the Coppergate dig, with just a small selection on display here of course, not enough space for every single one of them, but there's still so much here that you're probably going to miss quite a lot of it on your first trip through our gallery. So we're hoping today to highlight just a few of the smaller, really interesting objects that you might have missed on your first trip through. The first case that we're coming up to is the very first on your right hand side as you come off the ride. And it's the Viking travel and trade case. I mean, here at Jorvik especially, we were kind of a a hub, a center of travel and trade as it were. And so, I mean, of course, the archeological objects that were uncovered here are reflective of that. Yes, so the Vikings are pretty much the first culture to reach four continents. They spread out from their European homelands to trade in Western Asia and North Africa. And of course, quite famously, they're the first Europeans to cross the Atlantic Ocean and reach North America. I feel like we might have talked about that recently. Yeah, if memory serves, we may have done something to do with the Vikings (laughs) over that way. And here in the archaeology on just this one street, Coppergate, here in York City Centre, we've got a whole selection of objects that originate from different parts of the world, which they've imported to York. And I mean, you can kind of see that reflected on the ride because there are different languages, there's different kind of cultures represented because a thousand years ago, I mean, York would have been very multicultural. And so some of the artifacts that we're going to talk about today are reflective of that. The first one that we want to draw your attention to is, I think it's my favorite. It's on the top right-hand corner of this case, and it's a bear claw. Lucas, were there bears roaming around York a thousand years ago? So I think it's quite unlikely that little (laughs) bears are roaming the streets of Viking Jorvik. Uh, Historically, long, long before the Viking Age, there had been bears that were native to Britain, but they'd gone extinct centuries before the Vikings were about. I suppose there's a possibility that live bears might have been imported. There's that lovely story of Alvin and the bear, which we told around Christmas time, where a polar bear is brought down to Denmark. I doubt that's an everyday occurrence, though. Maybe they weren't just, like, rowing down the river ooze with boats full of bears. I'd hope not. (laughs) (laughs) So we have here the claw of a brown bear. It's part of the bony core of the claw. And there's a couple of different theories as to what this is and why on earth it's here buried on Coppergate in York City Centre. So one of the ideas is this could possibly be a kind of amulet, part of a necklace, a sort of magical charm possibly even. I think one of our Vikings wears one as as a pendant, don't they? Yeah, he does, yeah. Uh, We've got a few objects from the site which we've interpreted as pendants, things like there's a horse's tooth, a bit of a fishbone. These have got holes perforated through them to support that. The bear claw doesn't have a hole in it. It may have had it originally on a different section that's now lost to us. But it's possible it could have been a pendant at one point. If it's not a bit of jewellery, then what else might it be? 
So I quite like this idea, this second idea, that it could be part of a fur pelt, the last remaining fragments of it. So maybe there was a whole bear pelt here once upon a time. The fur has rotted away and this piece of a claw is all that survives. Or you could imagine maybe a Viking trader walking up the streets here with a cartload full of bear pelts. And this little individual claw just fell off maybe and landed in the mud, something like that. So it's a little piece of evidence of the fur trade, which was clearly quite large during the Viking Age, based upon written evidence that we have. We do have accounts of bearskins being traded. Uh, one account from the 9th century is an old English text where a Norwegian trader named Othir of Halogaland, great name, he was interviewed by Alfred the Great, and he told Alfred all about his homeland in the far north of Norway, way up in the Arctic Circle. And he explicitly mentions that he will trade with the Sami people, they pay tribute to him, and the most high-born of the Sami give him huge, huge amounts of animal skins, feathers, seal skin ropes, and this includes bear skins and garments made out of bear skins. So there clearly is a trade in this material. Were all the Vikings going around wearing garments entirely made of bear skin, or do we think that this might have had another purpose? Were they, did they all have uh, bear skin rugs in their house? It's a bit difficult to know. We know that the, that the fur of all sorts of different species was being traded. It's very, very well documented. But when we find uh, bits of clothing archaeologically, they very, very rarely have evidence of fur. Fur is, of course, biodegradable. So we don't really know what they're doing with these bearskins. It's one of the reasons why, if you see Viking reenactors or our own staff here at the Jorvik Viking Centre, we're not a very furry bunch. No, <laughs> um, yeah. We don't have pelts over our shoulders. We avoid, where possible, having huge amounts of trim on our outfits. It's entirely possible that the Vikings were wearing fur in this manner, but it's a bit of a question mark, to be honest. I think a good, a good example of the confusion around the specific styles in which the Vikings would use fur is a will dating to the 10th century, uh, the will of a very rich woman named Winfled, a West Saxon, and she mentions something called a Twilly Brokina Kirtel. That's my atrocious old English there. <laughs> now, it's a bit of a weird word, that, but one translation is a double badger skin gown. So okay. what on earth is a double badger skin gown? Is it made out of two badgers stitched <laughs> together? Does it just look like two badgers? Is it, is it wool or linen? So... We get these mentions of the fur of various animals, including bears, being used, but who knows what they're using it for. <laughs> the fur's all rotted away, but this bear claw is just a little clue as to the trade in fur that must have occurred here in Jorvik. Our next artifact is somehow even more exotic than a bear claw. It's in the bottom right of this case, and it's a cowrie shell. Lucas, why on earth was there a cowrie shell found here in Jorvik? Is it someone's memento from a, from their beach vacation? Possibly, from a beach very, very far away. <laughs> it's not going to be from a trip to Whitby or somewhere like that, or Bridlington. Uh, this comes all the way from the Red Sea. This particular species of cowrie is only found in that part of the world. So that's the sea that's between Egypt and the Arabian Peninsula. So it's possibly the most exotic item that we have here at the Jorvik Centre. 
So this shell uh, serves as evidence of the very wide-ranging trade of the Vikings extending into North Africa and Western Asia. So it's a bit unclear why it's here. As you said, it could be a little souvenir from a beach trip. Um, or, or is it like the Viking version of like a puka shell necklace? Possibly, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we, we kind of imagine the Vikings as being alien and weird. They're a bit like us. Yeah. At the end of the day, they probably like all sorts of weird things like that. <laughs> that weird people's name, I quite like. No offense, guys. <laughs> Again, a bit like the bear claw, it could be some sort of magical supernatural charm as well. There have been examples of these found in graves of Anglo-Saxon women, and we believe these served as fertility charms, because their founding contain is placed around the waist quite often, together with other amulets. So there could be another supernatural quality to this exotic item. This was the only cowrie shell that was found during the Coppergate dig, but is it the only evidence that we have for Jorvik trading with Africa? So it's the only thing that we have here in our collection that comes from that part of the world, from that kind of Egypt, Red Sea, Arabian area. It's quite possible, though, that all sorts of other things were coming over from North Africa, the Eastern Mediterranean, and Western Asia. But they were perishable goods, things like oils, spices, maybe. They've either consumed them or they've rotted away, and only kind of robust objects that survive in the soil, like shells, are still here for us to look at. It seems like the only things that survive or have any sort of longevity is the smelly stuff. Why can we never find a nice bit of perfume underground? (laughs) Today, we're sponsored by the award-winning Nidhogger Mead. Nidhogger Mead is made with all-natural ingredients and locally sourced Yorkshire honey. So, Lucas, we know that the Vikings drank mead, but what's your favourite flavour? I love a horn full of Nidhogger's tangy lemon and lime mead. That's a good one, but my favourite is the elderflower mead. Good on its own or great in cocktails. You can buy your own bottle of Nidhogger Mead in the shop at the Jorvik Viking Centre or by visiting nidhoggermead.co.uk. That's N-I-D-H-O-G-G-R-M-E-A-D.co.uk. And if you enjoy Nidhogger Mead, give them a like on Facebook. So the next item in this case that we want to draw your attention to looks a bit like some of the other artifacts that we've got further along. It's a coin, but why is this particular coin in the travel and trade case, Lucas? So this coin has been separated from the other coins that were found on Copper Gates because most of the other ones are very, very local. They're either minted in York or they're minted in other parts of Viking Age England. We actually don't have that many foreign coins in the collection here. So that might seem a bit weird, because we're here today bragging about, <laughs> oh, the Vikings, they are so well-connected, all these amazing foreign things. And we've basically got about three foreign coins, <laughs> I think, so not that many. You can see one of the other ones here in this case. It is a Frankish denier of King Charles the Bald. Fantastic name again, <laughs> with the best names in the past. Uh, there's also a little piece of a Danish coin as well, which is on display with the rest of the coins further along through the gallery. So, French coin, pretty cool. Danish coin, yeah, great, from the Viking homelands. But this one is very, very different. This one comes from the city of Samarkand. It was minted for the Arab ruler Ismail ibn Ahmad in the early 10th century. And he ruled in what is now Uzbekistan. Okay. Pretty far away. (laughs) 
So this is not just a regular coin, though. I mean, aside from how kind of exotic it is, there is a very particular quality to this coin, isn't there? Yes. So the other coins that we have from the site are our pennies, which are made of silver. This coin is supposed to be an Islamic dirham, and they would also be made of silver. But ours is not made of silver. Dun dun dun! <laughs> this one is made out of copper, and it's got a tin layer over the top of it to imitate a silver coin. So this is a Viking Age forgery. Gasp. So someone was trying to basically trick the the poor Vikings of Jorvik by spending a fraudulent coin. Yeah, shock horror crime existed in the past, which is quite <laughs> cool. We've got a little bit, bit of evidence of that. Um, we think this probably originates from Western Asia. Uh, I don't think the people of Jorvik were that great at writing in Arabic. There is <laughs> Arabic on the coin. It's a bit dodgy, but it's just about legible. And if it does originate from Samarkand in Uzbekistan, it's travelled a very long way, about 3,000 miles. Uh, lots and lots of other Arab coins have been found in other parts of the Viking world, in Scandinavia and here in the British Isles. But this one's quite cool that it's a Viking Age forgery, I think. Is it the only one of its kind locally? So there is a theory that this particular coin could relate to a treasure hoard, that was found about 14 miles west of York, the Goldsboro Hoard. That was a Victorian-era archaeological find. Within that hoard, there were 16 coins of Ishmael ibn Ahmad from Samarkand. So these may have started their journey in the east. Maybe this person came through Jorvik, maybe they had a snack on the way, tossed the trader a coin, <laughs> went on their merry way to Goldsboro where they buried their hoard. But then this trader in Jorvik may have seen this coin and over time the tin began to fade away from it and it became very clear the coin was fake. So maybe they chucked it away, not realising that a thousand years later we'd be going, oh, a fake coin, how special. <laughs> All right, and this last item, I, I'm going to need a bit of an explanation on this one, Lucas, um, because I'm not entirely sure why it's in this case. So it's a very small little black cross that's all the way on the left-hand side of the case. It's tiny. It's, it's pretty cute, but I, I don't really know why it's here. So I really love this object, and so many people miss it. It's so, so tiny, and also it's uh, not the brightest object in the case either. I think it's probably, of all the objects we're mentioning, it's the easiest one to miss, isn't Definitely, it? Definitely, yeah. So this is a pendant in the shape of a crucifix, an equal-armed cross, very, very small. It's about 11, 12 millimetres wide. And it's one of two that were found on this site. Uh, interestingly, they were found in 12th century dumps, so post-Viking age. So there was a bit of uncertainty as to their dates. Are they pre or post-1066? But the style of this cross perfectly matches examples from other excavation sites that have been dated to the 10th century. So we're fairly confident it dates to the Viking age. And it's made out of jets. Jet is very local, though. I mean, I've been to Whitby. I've seen all the jet jewelry. Why is a piece of jet in our travel and trade case? Well, for a couple of reasons. Um, firstly, it represents trade with the local area as well. 
we have been bragging a lot about these really, really exotic items that have travelled hundreds and thousands of miles to get here. But of course, the Vikings were trading with the surrounding countryside throughout the Danelaw, other towns and cities in England as well. That was a very, very important source of all sorts of raw materials. But also, this is a really good example of the Vikings not just importing things to Jorvik, but exporting things as well. All right, so what is jet made of then? Why is it such a special material? So jet is this lovely, shiny, black, kind of fossilized material. It's formed out of Jurassic wood, which was buried, compressed, and then fossilized under anaerobic conditions. And it comes out lovely and black and shiny and very easy to carve into jewelry and all sorts of other weird and wonderful objects historically. (laughs) We know that during the Roman period, the jet industry was huge here in York. We have huge numbers of uh, jet artifacts that have been found, things like bracelets and hairpins. We have a, an absolutely amazing jet bracelet that's on display in uh, our sister museum, Dig. And I just, I can't get over how gorgeous it is. It's something that I, I would still probably wear today. Yeah, they're still lovely and shiny after centuries, aren't they? Those lovely old jet objects. And we have found jet workshops on archaeological sites that date to the Roman period as well. We're a little bit less clear on how big uh, Jorvik in the Viking Age the jet industry actually was. The jet things that we find, they're not in huge numbers. We have these lovely crucifixes. There was a jet gaming piece found here on this site. We do find objects on other sites throughout York as well. In the 19th century, somebody found a jet pendant shaped like a coiled serpent. Round with the railway station now is. What Um, about further afield though? Is Is there any jet anywhere else in the world? Yes. So jet objects have been found on Viking Age excavation sites in Scandinavia. They've been found in Birka in Sweden. They've been found in Hedeby, which is now in the north of Germany, once upon a time in Denmark. And I've even seen jet objects way up at the top of Norway in the Lofoten Islands as well at the Lofotra Museum. And all of those probably had to pass through Jorvik, didn't they? Yeah, this would be the major port in the area. So this object here is just one of many, many jet objects produced here in the area during the Viking Age. And of course, it represents not just jets being exported, but all sorts of other things that Jorvik must have been exported to other countries. And once again, those things have either rotted away or been eaten by people. (laughs) You can imagine that, of course, grain being grown in the Yorkshire countryside would come into the city, be loaded on boats and shipped abroad to other countries to feed hungry Vikings in places like Scandinavia or in Iceland. Uh, Yorkshire, of course, to this day is famous for its textiles as well. So maybe some lovely Yorkshire tweed was being worn by Vikings (laughs) abroad. So so Jorvik is not just a consumer of luxury foreign goods, it's an exporter of things as well. And this tiny, tiny object is a tiny hint towards that. I also like this one because like we've mentioned in our Viking myth-busting episode, this is concrete evidence of Vikings being Christian. It is a little crucifix. Yeah, all of the religious stuff that's been found on our sites here in York has been of a very, very overwhelmingly Christian nature. We have the little jet crucifix here. We've also got a tiny relic weep pouch with a crucifix on it for a relic of a holy Christian saint. It's a shame we've got no Thor's hammers. People love seeing those. They go, uh, where are the Thor's hammers? And yeah, a jet Thor's hammer would be good. A jet crucifix, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, I mean, that's just four of the objects in this one case. There's still loads of other stuff to look at in this case. There's bits of pottery, there's a quern stone, there's silk, there's all sorts of stuff. And this is just our first episode talking about some of the artifacts in the cases here. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future gallery walkthroughs. This episode is part of our Jorvik Viking Festival 2022 season. We'll release an episode every Friday during the month of May. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our future gallery walkthrough episodes. If you want to see the objects that we've talked about here today, then come visit us at the Jorvik Viking Center, where you can enjoy the sights, sounds, and smells of the Viking Age. You can book your tickets at jorvikvikingcenter.co.uk. Don't forget to rate and review that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast on your podcast app. And if you enjoyed the show, share us with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favourite Viking podcast. To contact us for more information or ideas for future episodes, you can email us on podcast at yorkat.co.uk. Thanks for listening to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Transcripts and chapter markers are available on yorvikthing.buzzsprout.com. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeology. Hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. Researched by Lucas Norton, Ashley Fisher, and Miranda Schmiederer. Produced by Ashley Fisher. Sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.